0: Brought to you by TheGameReviews.com, and now part of Unified Gamers Network, you're listening to Big Red Potion Co-op Mode, the podcast that is ready to believe you. I'm once again your temporary host, Joe Dalia. At this point, I assume that you're gathering your pitchforks to the continued lack of Sanancuba on the show, even though I promised last week that our British friend would be back in the hosting chair for this week's episode. Well, that chair is currently being moved to a new apartment in a different part of London, so... Sanan can't very well host a show from the back of a moving truck, unfortunately, so here I am. Don't worry though, Sanan will be back next week. For real this time. Seriously. <laughs> Joining me in this very special co op mode is TGR's editor in chief, John Laster, who somehow escaped my clutches following last week's big red potion E3 appearance. John, how's the post E3 cooldown been treating you?
1: It's been going pretty good. Uh, I think the week after E3 might actually be more stressful than the week of. (laughs) I'm still way behind.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you and me both. Just as you thought that the E3 had finally left our collective conscious, I thought it would be great to bring it back on today's show for one last stand. E3 has always been the place to show the next big thing, be it a blockbuster sequel, new hardware, or stunning original new IP. At this year's Spectacular, several new products were presented that tried to evolve certain aspects of gaming, either through gameplay innovations, new control methods, or a unique presentation. A few days ago, I asked John to pick a few games that he saw at E3 that tried to do something different, and I picked a couple on my own as well. Whether these games will actually affect the industry in a way, or even be any good, is up in the air at this point. But all of the following are at least trying to take a non-standard approach to gameplay, storytelling, or mechanics. For that, we must applaud them so john i believe you want to introduce splinter cell
1: yeah so uh i've always kind of had a love hate relationship with uh stealth games because well i don't exactly like to just sit in a corner for the whole time and then wait so (laughs) splinter cell seems to be trying to fix that and make it so it's more of a a fast-paced stealth game so like stealth's still important but sam fisher's just a whole lot faster and a whole lot more badass for the most part and then uh just the whole thing with the cutscenes to me just seems like it's going to be extremely interesting to see how that plays out. Do you want to just uh,
0: explain how it, how it works?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, so during the demo we saw, which we actually saw three times, uh, <laughs> was Sam was in a bathroom and he was interrogating someone. And during this interrogation, it started to project onto the screen some, uh, basically, some story elements that would help you along the way. And it just let you know what was going on, so... When we talked to Ubisoft, they said that was one of the things they're trying to do, is they want to immerse the player. So in a sense, it's kind of like, instead of a fourth wall, you kind of have a projector there. And it's showing the gamer, like, either mission objectives, or just, like, backstory, or even just, like, the story itself. And it's just going to be projected on the screen. Right,
0: yeah. The the footage I saw actually had uh, Sam, like, walking through this alleyway, and on the building behind him, there was a big projection that said, Mission, you must do this. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of everything that would normally be on a HUD or in like a, a you know a CGI cutscene is a part of the environment somehow, and while you're walking, you'll get to see this stuff in the background.
1: That's exactly it. it it's they basically just want to find a way to keep the gamer immersed, because as a whole, cutscenes either you love them or you hate them, but sometimes they just seem to break up the action, right. especially when they're really really long. <laughs>
0: right, right, right. We spoke a few weeks ago on on uh, Big Red Potion about. Hollywood influence in gaming narrative and how, you know, some games really break you out of the the gaming experience when they pull you into a 20-minute cutscene, Metal Gear obviously immediately comes to mind, so Splinter Cell kind of allows these kind of cutscenes to get into the game, to be a part of the game, while they're also, you know, being a part of the action that you're taking place in, so instead of just removing that element completely, they kind of created this amalgamation of gameplay and storyline that really hasn't been seen like that before.
1: Closest thing I can think of is kind of more along the lines of something like Half-Life, where you stay in, like, it's all in-game, but it's not really a cutscene. But even then, it's still a break in the action. Like, you can walk around the room and stuff. I mean, in Metal Gear, there were a couple things where you could do that as well. But, like, you're still watching. In this, you're still playing the game, and you're seeing the cutscene just displayed. So it's a very interesting thing to see.
0: Yeah, and the new Prince of Persia kind of did that too, in that there was really no cutscenes, but while you were going, uh, Elika would talk to you and say, oh, this is what's going on and stuff. And you really didn't have to listen to that stuff, but it was there. You could totally get into it if you wanted to, but it would never pull you out of the game to experience that. And Splinter Cell is pretty much a direct evolution of that, where you know there is this stuff going on in the environment that you can look at and you could totally get into, or, I mean, you could totally look away or do something else while the, the thing is being projected. So it's a really interesting way to tell a story.
1: Yeah, I really like how Ubisoft is just kind of taking that Prince of Persia gameplay and story and stuff a step further with this. And instead of just hearing it, you're going to be able to see it as well. So that'll be really interesting.
0: Absolutely. It's definitely, I think it's going to divide players because um, I, I know a lot of people kind of, when they get into their games, they they look at this world that they're in as a realistic thing. And obviously seeing all these projected cinematics of people's lives all over the place wouldn't really be realistic. So I don't know if everyone's really going to like this because it's kind of it, it does pull you out of it in a way. It does remind you that, yes, you're playing a game. Yes, you are looking at this, you know, you're in this fake world and where, you know, these things are being projected everywhere, obviously as part of Sam's mind. But still. But I think that the people who do appreciate storytelling that that really is not just the standard Hollywood model of you watch something for 20 minutes, you play something, you watch something. Um, for people that want to want something different, want something that doesn't follow that traditional model, I think they're really going to get kicked kick out of Splinter Cell.
1: Yeah. I think every game we're going to talk about today, basically, is going to be pretty polarizing. Uh, it's going to be one of those things where you're either going to love it, you're going to hate it. I mean, there's going to be some in between, but Splinter Cell itself, just the whole game has taken a completely re-evolution in a sense. Uh, they've completely scrapped the entire game as it used to be. And they've just rebuilt it. So it makes sense that if you're gonna do that, you might as well go all the way with it and take the cutscenes and completely re reevolve evolve those.
0: Sure. Absolutely. And from Splinter Cell, which kind of evolving the way a cutscene works, to another game which is pretty much one hundred percent cutscenes. Um, John, would you like to talk to us a bit about heavy rain? Yeah,
1: I'd love to. This was probably one of the biggest like surprises. For me and the fact that I actually think it's going to be really interesting and I think I'm going to enjoy it. When I first got in there, I was a little nervous because it looked like a giant walking quick time event, which I have a major, major love-hate relationship with those. I cannot stand them in most games, (laughs) but this game just looks extremely interesting. So for anyone who's not up to date on it, Heavy Rain is basically going to be the story of the Origami Killer. So you're kind of going to be looking to find clues and you're going to be searching to figure out what exactly is happening and there's a couple different characters you're going to play as. And what was really interesting was that the game when we started to play it actually almost felt like uh, the controls were almost more like a racer. I mean you hold R to walk forward and then you just turn and then there's a lot of uh, just interactive objects and stuff. I mean you're looking for clues and the combat was completely quick time event based. So, to me, it felt almost more like a movie, but it was a very interactive one.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, no, I, um, you see, well, A, this is our weekly, uh, heavy rain reference. I mean, Santa <laughs> and I are on like a two month streak of this, so we got it in this week, notched that one off. Santa will be very proud. But, um, it's, yeah, like, I, you know, I I've always been a fan of, like, interactive movies even though i know they're terrible like i had a sega (laughs) cd i love sega cd i used to play night trap all those games so to me this is like the greatest thing ever because it totally brings back that awful gameplay that i used to love and makes it kind of new again and um i mean it's definitely going to be a game that is going to be love or hate there's not going to be a down in the middle with this game it's it's technically kind of the video game equivalent of a choose your own adventure novel where you're kind of watching this stuff happen you don't really have direct control but every now and then it's like hey make a choice and that choice is going to basically determine whether or not these characters live or die in the story and it's really interesting the way they're doing it and I like the presentation I liked what I saw of the gameplay even though it's pretty much just press this button to make her walk here press this button to make her talk to this person there's really no you know, control for the player, aside from, like, taking one of the four paths that are in front of you, but um, as far as, like, a really different type of storytelling in games, as far as this really weird, interesting experience that some people of the certain mindset will be able to love, I think that's going to really fulfill all those people's wishes. It's going to be the game that divides PS3 players straight down the middle, and you're either going to love it, hate it, or completely ignore it, in my eyes, anyway.
1: Yeah, I think you're definitely going to have to walk into it with the right mindset, because if you're looking for some kind of really fast-paced game, you're not going to find it. It's more or less, like you said, a choose-your-own-adventure novel. But the thing I found most interesting is when we were talking to the people behind the game, they were basically just telling us, like, uh, we don't want you to try to flip back the pages, in a sense. We don't want you loading up old saves. We want you to take this, and this to be your experience. It's going to play differently for every single person who touches this game. Right. it's going to depend on your choices. If you mess up with some of your quick time events and stuff, you might die, but that'll just let you take on a role of a different player, basically. I mean, there's four different characters, I believe, and each one's going to just influence the story differently, depending on how you kind of use them.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a game that I think is going to inspire talk for the months and months and months that, you know, and probably possibly one of the most talked about games of 2010 because it's just going to be this this strange thing. And you know, Indigo Prophecy, the, the creator's previous game, um, is still talked about to this day pretty often as a really interesting, weird experience. And this game actually looks less interactive than Indigo Prophecy <laughs> was, which is saying a lot because Indigo Prophecy was basically, you know, walk here, talk to this guy, watch cutscene. So, um I don't know. I think David Cage is a really smart person. I think I, just from listening to him talk and I talked to him briefly, and he's a very very hands-on guy. Very, he knows what he wants with his game. He wants to tell a great story and he wants to do stuff that's not been done in games. And I think even though it might not appease everybody, I think that this guy is going to deliver a really cool experience with, with Heavy Rain.
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree 100% with that.
0: A different game which lets you solve puzzles in methods never before conceived, be it with Monsters, chairs, fire extinguishers, hats, krakens, or meatloaf, <laughs> or anything else you could possibly think of. I'm talking about Scribble Knots, which is a game that has been talked about a lot since E3, because I think every single person that got to see it was had their mind blown by what they were shown. Um, so I'll just talk about it real briefly. Uh, it's a DS game. It's by the creators of Drawn to Life. Um, you are put into a situation where you have this kid and you have this door and you have to get this kid to the door or whatever the the final piece of the level is. And there's nothing in the environment. It's just open space. And you have this um, text pad that you can pull up and you can type in the name of a word on this text pad using the stylus. And they don't give you any hints. They don't say, oh, you know, try and come up with like a ladder to get to the door or anything like that they pretty much just leave it in this in your, in your hands. They let you do whatever you want to do. So at the demo, like, I had to get to this door, and I could have used a ladder. I tried using steps. I tried using – I had a boulder come down so I could try and climb in the boulder, and that didn't work. The, mm-hmm. ladder, the door was, like, maybe, you know, 10 feet up in the air. Um, and, like, I wasn't really thinking crazy because I figured you kind of had to do, like, you know, a fairly realistic option. But I've heard from other people that have tried it that they've spawned in – um, helicopters zombies uh, you know bears there's pretty much no limit to what you can do you just have to think of an object in real life that would be able to solve this situation for you and you type it in and it appears the developers said they went through the dictionary and they typed they, they created objects for almost every object in there which is completely mind-blowing so this is going to be like a totally new type of platform or something that's never been seen before and they said once you beat all 100 levels in this game they let you go back through it again and they won't let you type (laughs) in any words that you've used before so if you use like a ladder the first time you won't be able to use a ladder the second time you have to come up with something new to do it and that is just freaking crazy so john did you have a chance to check out yeah
1: i did have a chance to check this out and it was it utterly blew my mind uh that first level you were talking about where you have a star or something up in a tree. Yeah. I played that through a couple times just seeing how crazy I could get. The first time I tried, you know, like something somewhat normal. I tried, well, actually it's not really that normal. It's a jet pack. Okay. So I took a jet pack and I flew up and got it. Next time I called in a beaver. The beaver walked <laughs> over and ate the tree. So I said, how weird can I get? And then I got some termites and the termites ate down the tree. So, I mean, they've literally gone through and they've thought of everything from what I've been told. I know someone else later who typed in, uh, like, an ant, and then they typed in an ant eater. The ant eater goes over and eats the ant. I mean, they've, they've really put a lot of work into this, and I, I think even game journalists was one of the things you could type into it. Yeah. So I didn't actually see that one myself.
0: You could but, type in lolcats, and they'll come down apparently, too. I heard that someplace. Um, it, it, it's uh, Someone typed in kraken, and a, a kraken appeared on screen. Someone typed in Cthulhu, and the Cthulhu monster appeared. Like, they literally did everything in this game. It's limitless possibilities. It's something that you never thought would exist in a game, and especially on a DS cartridge, for Christ's sakes.
1: Yeah. I know, especially when I come into stuff like this, I I have to admit, I kind of have a little bit of a prejudice for some of the DS and some of the iPhone and stuff, because I'm just like, okay, it's a smaller platform, in a sense. It's got less memory and less, like... But they've figured out a way to just blow my mind with this. Like, (laughs) as far as, like, games that lit, you have, like, your own little sandbox, in a sense. You always are reminded you can't leave the sandbox. You have these like parameters you're allowed to basically play the game within. But Scribblenauts kind of just—I don't know how big that sandbox is. I really <laughs> want to know because it is insane. Like I could not find the edge.
0: I—I I asked uh, the developer like if there was like a set amount of objects in the game. He's like, we don't even have a count of it. <laughs> so I don't. I, there's literally no telling how big this game is and I literally can't wait to get them. Actually, no, we, I do know someone that stumped it. Jeffrey Matleff, our TGR's mustache writer, um, he actually, there was a zombie on screen, and he had to figure out a way to kill the zombie, and of course you could use flamethrowers, you could mm-hmm. use you know, all this crazy stuff. Uh, actually, um, Steve Haskey, former guest of the show, who's on uh, Play Magazine, writes Play Magazine, he, uh, he, I believe it was him, he, uh, he spawned brains, and the zombies got distracted <laughs> by the brains, and they left the character alone to run by and get to the exit. Uh, Jeff Lee Mataleff tried typing AIDS because he thought that he could give the zombies AIDS and kill them, <laughs> and it did not work. So Jeff Mataleff found the word that stumped scribble Scribblenauts, and I have to give him props for that because that impressed the hell out of me.
1: That, that is very impressive because I've <laughs> heard obscure names. I can't even remember them. They were that obscure, and they popped up in that world.
0: Yes, so um, scribble knots, if anything, is going to be the toy that you play with for the next year and will constantly be amused by it because it's that ridiculous. Um, all right, so we'll go from stunning originality to the exact opposite. John, would you like to talk about some games copying other games' success?
1: Okay. Uh, when we use the word copy, it's normally meant in a pejorative sense, but in a sense, it makes sense to copy them. <laughs> sure. But uh, two of the big ones that I played or got to see, they actually weren't playable at the time, uh, was uh, Singularity and Alpha Protocol. Singularity, I was actually in a meeting with another TGR staff member, Andrew Groen, and he came out of that and he was just like, this is Bioshock. You have magic powers in your left hand and a gun in your right hand. And you run around in this dystopia society from the future trying to figure out what ruined it. And... I really didn't even connect it till I looked at that, and then I'm just like, it really, really does feel like it. You come out, and I mean, you're trying to figure out what happened in there, and it involves an Element 99, which I mean, you could basically just almost supplement the word Atom, <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> out why the entire thing happened, wow. and it's it's really, really interesting to see how games are kind of just all being built upon each other in a sense.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's always like the yeah, you know, the base feature gets like taken up. Like look at perf system, which is making its way into every single multiplayer game now thanks to Call of Duty and all that stuff. Like I mean that's kind of the way the industry works. It someone has a good idea and it gets taken by every other game imaginable. But from what you described, uh Singularity kind of takes it a step further. What about Alpha Protocol? Well,
1: Alpha Protocol, I mean, if you've looked at it, it looks like a James Bond Mass Effect game. Sure. And it really, really does look like that. I mean, they've put a lot of different features into it and a lot of different things, as has Singularity. But the base, every time I look at that game, I just can't help but say, wow, this this really feels like Mass Effect.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I, I didn't get to see Singularity, but I did see Alpha Protocol. And um, basically, it looks like a really kind of generic action shooter. but at any point, you could totally go all Mass Effect on yourself and upgrade all your skills and speech. And then you'll get to these points where you have the conversation trees, which are straight out of Mass Effect. And you <laughs> basically have to decide, you know, am I going to talk to this guy? Am I going to ally with him? Am I going to shoot him? Um, I, I mean, it looked okay, but it also did, looked a lot like a really generic looking Mass Effect. And then, they, like, the whole thing with Mass Effect I me, mean, I love the world of Mass Effect. I love the sci-fi universe they created. And, like, you strip that out, what is left. Yeah. So with success comes plastic. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty much something that's been uh, you know, brought about the last couple of years with the ridiculous success of the, the, the music games. But at this year's E3, we saw a lot of developers trying to come up with um, ways to bring plastic into other genres. Um, and I think John wants to say a little bit about what Activision is coming out with this
1: one. <laughs> Activision is trying to sell you more plastic. Absolutely. It is absolutely amazing <laughs> how they're figuring out ways to do this to me. I have so much stuff in my living room. I I was looking for my rock band mic today to be able to do this. I had to dig past two controllers, two guitar controllers, a drum set. I mean, I just have way, way too much random stuff. And then I'm sitting here looking, and they're coming out with Tony Hawk Ride and DJ Hero. Mm -hmm. Now, I did not get a chance to play DJ Hero, but I did get to play Tony Hawk Ride. Oh, really? And it really, really is interesting how they've managed to do this, but I'm not sure if it's going to be successful. A, because how many people really want to keep buying all this plastic (laughs) controllers and stuff? I mean, it really adds up on the price really quickly.
0: Sure.
1: And the other thing is Tony Hawk Ride, to me at least, looks like it's going to be a little too difficult for the normal, typical gamer who has not had any skateboarding experience because Mm -hmm. of how hyper-realistic they're trying
0: to make it. Sure. Yeah, I I walked by the Activision booth a ton of times. I saw people on the Tony Hawk ride thing, and all I saw was the developers go, oh, no, 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 you have to do that! No, 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 you have to try it this way. Like, just explaining the game away to them while they fell or did nothing, pretty much, with their their skaters. So, I don't know. Like, I mean, the whole thing with the plastic peripherals is, like, you know, a couple years now, developers, publishers, they've been trying to find ways to get games into the hands of people that don't usually play games and obviously peripherals are an answer to that because you know I don't know, really know how to use a controller but a guitar yeah I know how to use that that sounds like something I could do you know um, and with, the, with Tony Hawk and especially DJ Hero which looked pretty complicated from what I was seeing it didn't really oh, look yeah. as easy as picking up a guitar or a pair of drums um, I think they're kind of missing the point on with the, who the peripherals are really going to appeal to
1: Yeah, I remember back with, like, Guitar Hero and Rock Band, as that progressed, it was one of those things that basically anyone could pick up and play, and it was more or less, like, if you looked at some of the advertisements, it wasn't they were getting, like, rock icons at the beginning to do it, they were having just normal people play it, but, like, when we saw Tony Hawk ride, all the advertisements and stuff were like, hey, look, this professional skater likes it, and I was just sitting here like, cool, it feels like a skateboard in a video game, but can I actually pull it off? like when i tried demoing it myself i was confused as crap until the guy actually showed me how to properly stand i needed to do this i needed to do that it took him 15 minutes to get me like oriented enough to remember how i used to skateboard way back when wow and then like it i don't know if that's gonna be able to translate very well to an actual mass market in a sense because it really is pretty complicated like I have no idea.
0: <laughs> also, like, how long could you really play with this thing before you get exhausted and need to fall down on the couch?
1: Yeah, it's one of those things. I guess it's great for getting you to get off your butt and actually kind of, <laughs> like, move around a bit because, I mean, when you're playing this, you're moving, especially when you're trying to do 180s and stuff. You have to turn that board. Right. But the nice thing is you never actually have to lift the board up off the ground, but, like, it has so many sensors. That thing is one amazing piece of machinery, but I <laughs> still don't see why i want to buy more plastic all
0: right so we'll move from the ridiculous peripherals to the more sensible ones i suppose um i mean they've been trying to force cameras on us for a couple years now the iToy on the ps2 was kind of fun but it was just mini games and stuff and you know the xbox came out with a camera and i believe one game works with that camera so they really never tried to push that on us but now this year i mean the camera was the focal point for the two two of the biggest press conferences of the year and you know, all these crazy things were announced that are all gonna use, you know, 100% uh, camera control, then there's really not gonna be a a controller in your hands, or if there is, it's not gonna be a traditional controller like the Sony Wands that they were showing off. (laughs) So, um, I actually wanna talk about two games that I saw that are really interesting. I don't know if they're gonna be good, but they're not really for, I guess, my type of gaming, but they are definitely interesting ideas. Um, They were both from Sony, and they were both only coming out in Europe uh, as of now, but I think they're obviously going to come out here eventually. One of them is called Invisimals for the PSP, and basically what it is, is Pokemon with a camera. So um, you have these, you, you buy this the, the game and it comes with, the well the Sony PSP camera has existed in Europe for a while, so I guess you have that camera, and it comes with this, this, this card-shaped thing. And what happens is, you put the game in and someone explains to you that the Sony PSP camera is able to pick up things in the environment in your house that you cannot see with your naked eye. So you have to use the Sony camera to find these things in your house and these things are a little like monster creatures, Pokemon pretty much. So um, you look around your house and like on your PSP screen it shows you like video of your house and when you get to a certain point the PSP screen starts going boom, 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 it starts like getting a heartbeat and there's this meter on the screen that says you're getting close to one. So you basically have to walk around your house with a PSP using it like a video screen and trying to find the spot that says, you know, is the right spot to go. And I, they, the developer said that it's completely random. So basically it scans your house the first time it goes in <laughs> and it decides this is the spot where it's going to be. And that's so basically everyone's house is different. So you find this thing. And when it says it's there, you throw down the card on the table that comes with the game. You press the scan button. And on that card will appear this creature, and he's not just like a flat image. He's actually a three-dimensional creature on your screen, and you could totally move the PSP around him, and the camera on the PSP will will, um, will move, you know, as if there was a real creature there. So you could totally see him from the front. You could zoom back, and he'll get smaller. You could zoom close, and he'll get bigger. So basically, it looks as if there's a real creature standing on your couch, and you can only see him through the PSP screen. And then what you have to do is you have to capture him by i think swatting him or shaking the psp there's like a different method to catch each creature and once you catch him you totally have him in your deck and you can battle him with other people who have invisibles and they said like you know to get all the invisibles in the game you have to go to different locations you have to go to stores you have to go to other people's houses you have to go to certain times of the night like at 4 a.m there might be an invisible (laughs) you can't get anyone else. it's like it's totally the evolution of pokemon but it's done in a really clever way that couldn't really have been done before. And I think that's a really cool idea. And the other one is iPet, which is for PS3. And it's the same idea where you have this card, you put it down on your table, and this pet will come out of it, and you can totally pet it. You can play with it. You can throw something on the table. He'll interact with it. You can dingle your fingers in the air, and he'll jump at them and try and, like, nip at your fingers while you're while you're standing there. So, like, you know, again, this totally... Real-looking creature that, when you look at your television, you see this thing, and it looks like it's right in your lap. But you know, um, and you can totally interact with it in every way. And one of the coolest things you could do with it is um, they showed a mode where you can draw a picture on a piece of paper, hold the picture up to the screen, the Neo, the I'm sorry, the uh, iPad. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, that was a slip of the tongue. Uh, the iPad will redraw your picture in the game, pull the object out of your picture, and use it. So the example they showed was he drew a plane and the iPad totally pulled a plane out of the picture and was able to ride it around and you got to play a mini-game with this iPad in the plane. So this is like this crazy, weird toy that they're coming out with the cameras that would have never been possible before and it's really nothing else like it. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a small appeal audience, I guess, to kids and to younger people. But it's definitely a cool idea that I, really struck me as being very, you know, unique and interesting. So I was wondering what you would think about, like, you know, this kind of game, this this half reality, <laughs> half video game type virtual pet thing that Sony's trying to push.
1: They're definitely very unique because I actually had not heard about those till you sent me a list about them about a week ago to look them yep. up, and uh, I guess now because I didn't go into the Sony Europe booth, but
0: yeah, it's, it's
1: a very very interesting concept to have something where you've kind of basically got real-life Pokemon, in a sense, or at least as yeah. close as that'll ever happen. I and mean, it might be a little creepy eventually if kids start walking around their schools when they're not supposed to be there at four in the morning trying to catch Pokemon. <laughs> but it, it really sounds like it could be very, very interesting. And I think it's going to have a decent-sized appeal.
0: Yeah. Especially I mean,
1: for that demographic.
0: Oh, yeah. I think, you know, if, if Sony does a great job of advertising this, which we will see. But if they do a great job, I mean, this could be the next Pokemon. It could be the biggest thing of the year as far as kids goes. So, I mean, another type of camera gameplay, and this is obviously a uh, bigger one, but um, the Project Natal and the Sony PS3 motion wands that they were showing off at the press conferences. Um, obviously, cameras have been around for a while, but we've never really seen this type of interaction, whereas, you know, in the Sony one, they were showing how they can turn these things into swords and you could battle knights with them and how, you know, accurate this stuff is. In the bow and arrow, I believe there was a demo where you used it as a bow and arrow. And the Microsoft one, they went a different direction where, you know, they showed, yes, it could do iToy-style stuff, but also with Microsoft, behind closed doors, they had Burnout Paradise playable without any control. You just sat there, you moved your hands like a steering wheel, and the damn thing actually drove the car. (laughs) Freaking mind-blowing. And then, of course, uh, Peter Molyneux new project, Milo, um, blew many a mind, including my own, um, with its ridiculous amount of, you know, future tech that... It's kind of creepy in a way, but also really, really exciting. And if you think about, wow, would the next Fallout game have characters that I can sit in my couch and talk to or something like that? So what do you think about um, the cameras that Sony and Microsoft showed off?
1: I'd have to say both of them actually blew my mind because everyone was rumoring that both of them were going to come out with their own kind of motion controller. So I was expecting, you know, something more along the lines of the Wii, something that we've seen more along the lines of Wii Motion Plus. But Sony comes out with this thing that's supposed to have one to one motion capture. And when I'm watching the videos and stuff, it looks like he basically is swinging a sword. Right. And then, I mean, everything we're seeing is tech demos and all. So, I mean, this is just like the basic stuff that they're just trying to show hey, look how we can use it. Right. And the future's amazing for this. And then you got Natal, which I think that's going to do a great job at bringing people who aren't traditionally gamers even farther than the Wii has. Because the Wii, you still have to hold a controller, which to some people I know, that's still a little confusing for them if they've never touched one in their entire life. Yep. Uh, and there should be a word for it, but it's like joystick phobia. That <laughs> When they pick it up, they're just still really confused when they're trying to move it around. And if they could just sit there and know, okay, my body's the controller, that was just one of the best ways to explain that I've ever heard. And it really looks like it was going to work well. I've not actually got a chance to use it, but it looks like it will work well.
0: Obviously, we won't actually find out until about a year from now how these things are going to be used in actual games, but, I mean, the doors are pretty much blown wide open at this point. There's really nothing that a developer can do that can't be, you know, harnessed with these these controllers now. I'm really... I don't know, like, I mean, do you think that, like, games like, even, like, Madden and stuff, uh, you know, God of War, do you think those kind of games are going to be controlled with these these, these cameras in the future?
1: Just uh, so it's going to be interesting to see because uh, I know uh, during the press conference, Sony mentioned, hey, look, we could do this eventually with a football game and you could, like, draw your routes and tell them where to go. And it looks like there's the potential there. I mean, it kind of looks like Microsoft and Nintendo kind of have the two extremes. Nintendo one's more or less focused 100% on the controller. The Microsoft one, it's the camera. You don't need a controller. And then Sony's kind of found a nice little spot in the middle where I think they almost have the best way to balance the two because of their position. Right. But I think all three, I mean, well, specifically those two, Microsoft and Sony, have a lot of potential to keep getting people who are not traditionally gamers into this stuff.
0: So we, we tried to cover, you know, a couple of games in this week's show that try to do stuff different, stuff that will change the way you play the game in the future, and I think we, we did that. Um, I want to thank you, John, for coming on the show. Uh, I know this is a bit of a strange one since we... <laughs> We kind of threw this together in the last couple of days. We didn't know Sinan was going to be out until um, midweek when he said he had no internet, which is a problem with recording podcasts. So thank you, John, for putting up with me and uh, for getting the show out the door.
1: Uh, no problem. It was a pleasure being here. Hey, great. Hopefully Sanan is uh, back next week.
0: <laughs> yes, we shall see. Um, do you want to throw out some quick plugs?
1: Uh, as far as plugs go, just check out com. Sanan works there. I work there. Joe works there. It's a great site. A lot of great content coming up. Hopefully, we'll have all our E3 stuff up by the end of the month. If not, before that, we're shooting for as soon as possible. Yep. A lot of good content coming up.
0: Yes, I, too, will plug that because I've been churning out as much of it as I could <laughs> as possible. So, um, yeah, thegamereviews.com, lots of E3 stuff, lots of good stuff. Um, guys, check it out. And you want to throw out your Twitter, too?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, our Twitter is pretty simple. Uh, Twitter.com slash thegamereviews. <laughs>
0: okay. So cool. just search
1: the game reviews.
0: Sure, and that uh, that updates on you know when bigger potion has a new show, when there's new stuff up on the sites. There's a lot of cool stuff on that,
1: and a bunch of just random postings by sure. me.
0: Sure, <laughs> postings are good that about does it for this week's show um hope you all would tune in next week for the grand return of our, our british lord and master uh Stan <laughs> if things work out we will uh it will be Sinan, myself and two guests discussing the fate of single player which i believe is what i said would be this week's show last week's episode everyone have a great week i hope you all enjoy playing ghostbusters because that's what we'll be doing all week and um and that's it Goodbye.